Welcome to the Humanity Leadership Podcast. My name is David Wheatley. We're here to talk leadership in small, bite-sized and practical chunks. Enjoy. Welcome to this episode. And once again, I'm joined by Judy Brown and uh, Rick Eigenbrod, my esteemed colleagues, and uh, a bunch of experience in the room. And today's conversation, uh, we wanted to talk about motivation. And there's a few places to go in this. What does motivate us to get up and do the work that we do? Uh, especially when you look at the generational differences that play into that as well. What what motivates a over 60-year-old versus what motivates the under 30, uh, which can be quite different. different. Um, do we get our motivation intrinsically or extrinsically? Or what's that all come from? But uh, I'm looking forward to a conversation and we'll see where we end up. So welcome, Judy and Rick. Thank, Thank you. you very much. So, uh, Judy, where do you get your motivation from? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, it's a kind of internal energy that comes from a sense of connection with um, an idea or people. I mean, our conversations represent a fair amount of that. Um, and... Uh, and I think it's mostly uh, internal. And yet I was thinking about what you said about, you know, people who are over 60 or people who are millennials. And I was just living with my daughter this last 11 days or however many it was, 21, I guess it was. And uh, and she's a millennial. And so I've been able to watch what motivates one uh, for several days. And uh, what what struck me is the amount of energy towards something that they care about and that I'm going to add in the case of, of her and her husband challenges that are new to them. Um, that, and then when I think about myself, um, I'm really, I'm intrigued by the classic, uh, appreciative inquiry questions that I sometimes ask myself to try to get at this, which goes like this. And it's a that's a great set to ask a millennial or somebody who is in the third 30 years or whatever stage of their life, which is, you know, think of a time when you were just absolutely motivated and at your best in whatever you were doing. It could be work, it could be a team you were on, whatever. And you were just really fabulous. Uh, and then there are three questions to answer, which which one might want to ask oneself, but one also might want to ask a colleague that we're working with. Um, it, what about you made that high motivation and extraordinary performance possible? What about you? And what's interesting about these three questions is that's the one with the highest punch to it, the highest leverage. What about you? made this possible and the second question is what about others and then if you ask this of somebody else usually they say to you which others and then you say yes you know anybody any others who have skin in this game um, and then the third question is what about the context and i think when we ask ourselves that kind of question or a colleague or maybe somebody who seems to be lethargic about the work, however you might want to think about that, it um, it gives them and us fresh information 
about circumstances in which they experience a lot of that kind of energy and motivation. Which is interesting, as you've framed it already, that you're talking about uh, the the more you give people the why, whether that be their why, the collective why, or the why that uh, inspires the the broader picture, the uh, the the more you have the opportunity to motivate them. The more, especially if that why connects with them resonantly. I might even turn it around a bit, David, and say the more you can get them to dig out the why themselves, yeah. uh, they will begin to perk themselves up and motivate themselves. Um, so I'm. it's more a process of inquiry, internal and individual, uh, than anything I can do for them or any advice I can give them. Uh, Rick, what do you think? What, how, how would you wade in on this one? Uh, uh, very similarly, to some extent, Judy, in terms of inside, outside, where is motivation, lie, et cetera. David, I have to tell you, when you sent your kind invitation, and uh, I think I think what the, uh, the draw was uh, around the sentence, and you hear this a lot these days, what can leaders do to motivate their people? And I found that as I began to think about that, it took me down a rabbit hole of questions. Um, questions about, uh, gosh, there's so many assumptions embedded in that particular phrase. How can leaders motivate their people? And I found myself sort of deconstructing or, or unbundling the assumptions within that, some of which I think are, can be problematic in these times. Um, and in some way, it was really fun. In some way, it's perplexing, even including saying to myself, when we talk about this word motivation, what are we really talking about? You know, what, what is it that we're talking about? Um, we act like we all, if somebody says, are you motivated? We all act like we know what that is. And, I, I'm, you know, the more I thought about, like, I thought, well, what is that? I can certainly relate, at least personally, to answer your question, the original question, that whatever it is I label motivation, and I don't use that word, I don't think I've ever used that word much in my life. The words that I would put instead of motivation is drawn to, compelled by, longed for, fascinated by, curious about, those words, I think, have been more descriptive of, uh, of how I experience it. And, and sometimes the tug is, I mean, it really is longing almost. Is that the same as motivation? Um, so I, again, it, it was so, it's interesting as I, even as we speak here, to hear myself think about and want to question some of the basic premises and assumptions around this thing called motivation. And I really, I don't know, you know, I'd like to invite us to think about that, that sentence that David sent along about how do leaders motivate their people. And I think uh, I, I'll 
like the way you framed it. I've been reading a book recently. You two may have come across it before. Uh, a More Beautiful Question by Warren Berger. Uh, it's it just is looking at questioning as a whole. And and so far, the answers you've both given have really been more questions. And, and so the answer, if you like, that I'm taking away is uh, you motivate people by asking the right question. Which yeah, is what you... inspires or or intrigues or makes you curious, all of the list of things that, that Rick, you you labeled out. Yeah, sorry to interrupt, David. The, the, I love the, the, the connection between the word question and questing. Hmm. That, that there's a thing I think you guys are familiar with called the Zygarnik effect. It's, it comes from the Gestalt, the world of Gestalt psychology. And the Zygarnik effect is if you don't have closure, right? There is an energy that gets generated to make that closure. It's questions, it's, it's um, curiosity, it's uh, um, inquiry, et cetera, et cetera. And that when you close that with an answer, that energy goes away. Wow. And I think that, I think that in this day and age, we're, we're so inclined to try and find answers that we don't spend enough time with the questions or we don't value the questions or we don't see that if we come to people with questions, that may be more energizing than giving them something that we would call motivation. And, and of course, the, the, you know, the, the question here is in our organizations, where lies motivation? And, and that's where, as you both made your kind of opening statements, you both came back to the answer that uh, we motivate our people by asking them the right question. Yes. And and so then, you know, in 10 minutes, we've solved the problem. So that's that's dead easy. Uh, <laughs> the, the next challenge, of course, is uh, what's the right question and how do we work out what's the right question? Mm. And, and that's and then a great that, question. And keep that. How do we keep that energy bubble open, even if we need and have answers? How do we then keep that connection from closing? And even that question is the right question. It's always the right question, Rick. You taught me that. It's <laughs> well, well. Well, let me let me digress just a little bit. If we say leaders, or in some way, how do leaders motivate people? The nature of the relationship between a leader and, and, and the others is defined in a really interesting way, right? There's almost a, a paternalistic quality to that. Like that leader is responsible somehow for motivating people. And, um, and, and in some way, that that sets up a nature of a relationship with people that is it, it's it's almost it has for me almost and i don't want to exaggerate here but it has almost a parental quality mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that in times of uncertainty we look to the authority figures we're seeing this in the world at every level uncertainty inclines us to look to the authority figures for the answers so two things strike me the first question for a leader wanting to motivate, looking to answer the question, how to motivate my people is to look inside. 
inside the leader's self. Inside the leader. What are you juiced up about? Where's your energy? Where's your vitality? Where's your curiosity? Where do you want to invest? What you know, because your emotions, your attitude, your perspective, and this is true of leaders, is a communicable disease. Yep. Right. So, so the first thing I'd say to a leader, if you want to motivate your people, you go, you, you go, you go figure out where, what's, what, what you have motivation for, including what are the questions that you have right now, and to even ask a group, God, in this day and age, let's let's spend time thinking about what are the questions. What are the questions we as a group are faced with? What are the questions we as an individual? What are the questions we as a as a team are faced with? What are the critical questions? Because in some way, I think the higher we go in organizations, particularly in times of uncertainty and change, what we pay our leaders for is not to come up with the answers, but to choose the questions. Right. Out of which rolls everything. Well, and it seems to me that one of the questions that's critical in this is, is if we're honest about it, what are we seeing in the context of our work that is baffling us? What are we seeing that's interesting to us? What are we seeing that is confounding to us and flies in the face of everything we thought we knew for sure? And a really freewheeling conversation about that then begins to create the kind of energy of curiosity which is what's needed to move things forward it's a it's an experimental mindset it's a kind of curiosity um and it's realizing that without the that kind of conversation and probably conversations that reach out we're we're n- not going to know enough to have a really energized system. Um, I mean, one of the things that I sometimes play with is is when people are saying somebody's not motivated, and I'll say, well, you know, so much so and so isn't performing well. We thought they were going to be a good hire, but they're just not turning out well at all. Wonder what's going on with them. And I'll say, so what are six possibilities of what's going on with them? This is using the rule of six on it, and people will say, well, you know, they're they're lazy. Number two, they don't know how to do the job, blah, 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 blah. And um, and so after we get five or six of those, why isn't so-and-so motivated out? Then the question becomes, well, how would you find out what was really going on with them? And the answer is, you have a conversation with them, an open conversation about yeah. what matters to them, what they're struggling with. I can remember saying to somebody one time, my response is if they're not performing, either fire them or inspire them, one or the other. Those are my two favorite ones. And if what they're dealing with is a health problem, it's not going to help a bit. Or if they don't know how to do the job or if they're scared they aren't going to perform well, you know, neither firing nor inspiring is going to help. And firing certainly isn't going to help these days when we're short on people. Uh, I, Judy, I, I think there are two things that I would, that strike me about what you said. One is when we say, when we say they're not motivated, right? It's like the first thing I want to go is what, what tells us that that and motivate? And is that the right, right diagnosis? Right. Right. Is it, is it, 
is it around the is around the, again what does the word motivation mean does that mean they're not doing the work right so the question is one let's not talk about motivation let's talk about the work and right. why you know is that is what are we seeing that we then put the label of diagnosis not motivate the minute you say not the minute you make that diagnosis you set yourself down a trail yeah whereas if like you say if you have a conversation you may find out that we are demotivating them right they're plenty motivated they came motivated whatever that means right i had a conversation with my son the other day and you know he was telling me about what's going on in this company and i just thought my God, that if ever you want to enervate people, that would do it. So is a, is a part of what this invites us to do is to first ask the question, in how many ways are we demotivating people through the nature of the work, how it's assigned, how it's done, what the tools are that we give them to do it? Does it matter? that they actually do it? Do we in some way, you know, what are the consequences of that and how do we deal with it? Because in many ways, um, I think the real issues in, in, are around how are we, you know, demotivating, like how do I empower my people? Stop disempowering them. Yeah, I had a, uh, a company reach out uh, recently wanting some tr leadership training and, and you start to have the conversation and you try to diagnose why they're in need of leadership training and they identified that they've had to promote a bunch of new folks recently uh, because of turnover and so these people have never had any leadership training and they're losing a lot of their frontline staff and they think it's down to these leaders not being trained and when we dug a little bit further and asked some more questions about the environment uh, they've been working 12-hour shifts seven days a week for most of this year wow. and so that's that's what you're talking about there, isn't it, Rick? It's got nothing to do with how motivated or talented those leaders are. You're crushing people. And so yeah. until you change that environment, you're never going to be able to get the right spirit, the right engagement out of those employees. It's David, I, I'm, I'm really with you. I've been thinking a lot about teams lately. And, you know, this notion about system issues tend to, tend to get solved at the wrong levels. I have another book about that as well, but that's... that's right. <laughs> wait, wait, put it up so people can see yep. it. Yeah. Hold it there. <laughs> yeah. It's constantly in the background right here, so... <laughs> yeah, and and, and this, there's something deeply embedded in hierarchy that mimics, and I think th these kind of parental um dynamics that go on that that tend to generate kind of dependency relationships right so we're saying oh the leaders have to do this and you know they have to motivate how do you motivate someone that that's just exhausted right. look to the system right but yeah, the, but the, the beatings will continue until performance improves <laughs> exactly yes. and and I, I think we don't take a lot, you know, ask great questions that allow us to do better diagnosis. And, and how, do we, how do we pull out of our organizations 
this very subtle inclination to have and 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 to create dependency relationships um where the person whose box is ahead of you knows all sees all mm-hmm. has to you know, etc we can't have that in modern organization we can't you know that, well, that, that and, builds on that old um is it that hbr article from about 1974 that talks about the monkeys on your back and yeah. people carrying the monkeys and you know you're talking about how we train people by our actions as leaders and if if i take your monkey i've just trained you to bring all all your monkeys to me uh, i like how you're connecting it there though because you're also saying if if i am the source of your motivation then i've just trained you to constantly need me to be the source of your motivation rather than that question that you've both been talking about which is if i can ask the question that gets you owning the monkey or gets you identifying where that source of motivation is, then I've I've taught you to fish. Exactly. David. Mixing and metaphors think, and fishing and monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think there's a more subtle part of that too. It's not only, you know, I, I've, I've fooled around with this monkey thing. It's not only the monkey, which is the nature of the task moves up, right? Or, or we call it, you know, um, what do you call it? Delegating up, right? If you take the monkey, it's not just that you took the task. It's that you took the burden of having to figure out what to do with it, which is the the catalyst for the development of the person who has the question. Right. So 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 that if you say, you know, if in some way they are they don't get to escape that. And they have to go learn and talk and, and and inquire across the organization. That is hugely developmental. We need that in our organization. That's how we grow our people. Yeah. So when they come to us with those questions, trying to trying to give us the monkey, we are disabling their development and in subtle ways our own. Right. Judy? I, the the idea that was going through my head has to do with this uh, th- this notion that um, that we are we get in the way of their development. And I like the idea of our development as well uh, when we think we're trying to be helpful. I mean, in some cases, this is just the the human urge to be helpful. Uh, and also the the instinct to be problem solvers when we need to be question answers. I mean, that shift is very, very hard for people. Um, and the, the other thing that came to my mind is, you know, sometimes I was thinking about the exhaustion of working that long for that long period of time. Sometimes people just go through times when they're uh, sort of stuck is what I'm going to say. And and if we're making judgments about that, neither we nor they have good tools for inquiring into what's going on with them. Uh, and, and that's where I think good neutral noticing as a leader is useful to be able to say to somebody, you know, um, I, I, I sense things are different for you right now than they might have been two or three months ago. Uh, you know, what can you tell me about what's going on? I'm thinking in terms of my own case and a conversation I had with friends that the things that really launched me into high motivation were wise people around me initiating a conversation, 
at a time when I was stuck and putting something new in front of, you know, this is to the new thing again, something new under my nose that caused me to just perk up and to follow through on something that I didn't even know I was seeking, David. I mean, that's what strikes me about it. Uh, I didn't know I was seeking a growth opportunity, but, but, but the ability to feel when someone is in one of those stuck seasons that we all go through and to have kindly inquiry about what's going on so we might be able to place before them a real stretch and growth opportunity that would be really motivating. But I don't think we can do that without understanding what's going on with them. And that's back to the questioning loop. Yeah, I think I I did some work in the government a few years ago. And one of the things I got tasked with was those people who had five years left before retirement, who were all kind of cruising. And what I repeatedly found uh, was the key was the word legacy. And you you sat down with them and said, what do you want your legacy here to be? All of a sudden, they they tweaked up about what that meant and what they could do and how they could train people and lead people. And, and so they would then talk about the last five years being the best five years and because they were doing something very differently. Up to that point, they'd just done the job. Right. When you get that, to that legacy uh, question, it opened the door. Yeah, that's a high leverage question for and I, your way of framing it within five years of retirement. Uh, but maybe that within five years of retirement is to, maybe that's going on all during our careers. We're having these every now and again sense of I've come to the end of this path. No path goes on forever, I think is what David White said. You know, and it's hard for us to admit that when uh, we've been sailing along and then all of a sudden, we don't feel a lot of energy for the work. Well, as long as we can take that point and graduate from it and move on to the next, which, which is a callback to last time's conversation with us. But uh, every five years, we should be doing that. So, But I, I think, uh, I mean, that's uh, really getting at the underpinning of this, isn't it? That if as a leader, I'm paying attention, I don't have to provide the answer. I just need to be able to ask a question that unlocks it. So it, it's kind of, it's not my job to provide the motivation it's my job to create the environment for yes. people to, to step in to be passionate, but it's I'm not going to make that step in. I'm going to create the environment for it. Yes, and to create conditions where it is safe for someone to have a conversation with us, even when there's hierarchy involved, about being in a kind of, you know, <laughs> no wind in the sail season, and how might we think about this together? Mm -hmm. Um, and in many organizations, that would feel like a risky thing to do. If we can create organizations where that's a natural thing to do, then we're more likely to be able to partner with people so that they can end up in a place where they're full of that kind of energy they had that caused us to hire them in the first place but and the, caused them to say yes to us. And the risk there is that if I say it, then maybe they won't need me anymore because I'm not as good as I was when I came on board versus if I say it and somebody says, well, let's look at what we can, how we can re-spark your passion within the organization. Yep. That that or, creates the culture. Or that I'll lose this, this sense of identity and value at that I'm the smartest kid in the room and I have all the answers. Right. Look, I, I mean, here's an example of what you two have been saying that I think may illustrate in 
and this was real, I was doing some work with a company, a David actually in England, and we'd meet outside of London. And they, we met with different groups. And one of the things that happened with the different groups is they identified a literal life-threatening issue for the corporation, right? And I'm just going to say it was capital expenditure, right? We, if we didn't get capital expenditure under control, we would literally go broke. So they discovered this themselves. Everybody was demoralized. We're going to go broke. We're going to go out of business. Woe is us. What shall we do? They went to the CEO and said, we have discovered this problem. We don't know what to do. It's terrible. Uh, you know, it looks like we're all going to die, blah, 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 blah. And they laid it out. And his brilliant response is this. You all know more about this problem than I do. Let me know what you need from me. And off they went. To do everything that needed to be done. To understand the problem in ways that hadn't been understood to come up with with things that needed to be done. And there was this lovely knock on little vignette where one of them went where they had this cost cutting thing and you couldn't take first class trains into London and no cookies at, you know, whatever, it's crazy stuff, good stuff. And one said, I went to my team and I told them what we're gonna do. And they started complaining about the bosses and how the bosses were forcing this on us. And she, and she said, no. This isn't the boss forcing on. This is what we know we need to do. This is us. Grow up. Right. Yeah, it's it's that whole empowerment piece that comes with paying attention and asking the right question, isn't it? Which you know, I, I say the book I'm, I'm reading is really driving at that. We don't do a good job of it in schools. We don't do a good job of it at work. And so we end up with an unmotivated workforce and and just general people because they're not finding the challenges by those questions that how do I solve this? How do I how do I get myself out of this scenario or how do I improve my my place here? And part of that is I think that people haven't been given that opportunity to, which comes back to a leader's job is to create the fertile space yes. for people to learn how to motivate themselves, if you like. Yeah, I think that, that you know, if, if you take the, the kind of environment we've been through, where life as we know it is over in many ways, the, the question becomes, how not how do we recapture, but how do I get motivated, you know, to, to come back to, to this reality? The, the question is, how are we going to deal with this reality? And maybe we're going to deal with it with just brute force effort. That's it. It's not how we feel about doing work. It comes down to simply, we got to do the work and knowing what that is. Because there are just simply times where doing the work is the only thing to do. Right? And, and we sort of get rid of this notion about motivation or we change the meaning of the word motivation. And feel yeah. good or feel excited yeah. but that that brings me back to something i've used with my clients as well that um is you know if you want to open another bottle of motivation which seems like sometimes that's the request pop open another bottle of motivation pour it down my people that will do it uh i challenge them to 
create get a bottle of actual physical bottle and put a label on it of um, March, April, 2020, <laughs> and then put a lid on it. And then when anybody comes in and says they can't do something or they're struggling or they're not motivated, pop open that bottle and pour out whatever was in it in March of 2020. Because if you think about it, what we did in March of 2020, we with all of those things that you're talking about, Rick, people stepped up and did, okay, tomorrow is different. We cannot come to the office. What are we going to do? And, you know, I have clients who said, okay, everybody go to the office tonight and grab a computer, grab what you need and go home. And then we'll work out what we're going to do tomorrow when everybody signs up for Zoom, <laughs> because we all need Zoom now. And and that the thinking that went on in, in March and April of 2020, if we could just put that in a bottle and remember it and remember how we just opened up uh, different ways of operating and, and doing stuff because we had, you know, the platform was burning. There was no way to go back. Uh, the, the, that was that energizer that people just seemed to buy. Some people did. Some people kind of went and hid in a hole and uh, rocked back and forth, I think. But the, the, the many, many people just stepped into that space and said, okay, we have to do this. We have no choice. This well, is what we're going to do. And in some ways, I mean, ways back, Rick talked about the burden of the work that has to be done. In some ways, we're talking about the freedom to do the work in the way that makes the most sense given the current reality. That's a very different notion than uh, following a path that's been prescribed uh, or that we think is prescribed by those above us in the chain. And that's a that's 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 the adult stuff. That's the responsible stuff. Um, but it it but it's freedom. I mean it's freedom to do the work. So it's a freedom to do the work. It's also a uh, a risk on the part of the the parent in that relationship, the the, the senior that says, exactly. "Okay, I know I can do it, but the the better thing for the long term, the developmental thing, would be to to ask the right question, and let these people go at it, and it might take longer, it might not be as good, it might be a disaster, and we'll it, learn from it and we'll move on." David, that is so well said, and it's so hard to do. It, to do that for the leader to do that they are going to inevitably be pushed up against their own flat developmental side it's inevitable and so in a way when they take that responsibility or take that burden off they're not doing it in the service just of the person who's come to them they're doing it so they don't have to face into their own worries anxieties flat side insecurities whatever the developmental whatever the developmental task is they, they will be faced with it I think one of the things you say in that for me that hit me is this notion of the meaning, and this is where language becomes so important. When we say motivation, I think we associate that with a lot of positive, enthusiastic energy, right? And, and sometimes that's not the nature of motivation. Judy said early on, maybe motivation means clarity of purpose which comes with a burden, which comes with anxiety, which comes with, un with but it does, it, it, it does uh, in a sense, provide us with um, wh whatever that is that, that carries us forward. Again, it's hard to get away from the word motivation. Uh, and that burden that you talk about as well is, is ownership in my mind. Yes. So, so how do I get the person to want ownership because then that's the burden. And uh, we use in our delegation work, the transfer of ownership. 
because that's what delegation should be is that transfer right. of ownership not just giving away the tasks yeah i think this this thing about how do how does a leader motivate the team and this in the world we live in is such an invitation to conversations we're not having to have different conversations you know that aren't necessarily um you know, decision-making conversations. Uh, they don't necessarily have to be immediately problem-solving conversations. But when you change, a friend of mine said, when you change the conversation, you know, you change our lives and our companies because our lives and our companies are the consequence of our conversations, the ones we're having and the ones, more importantly, that we're not. So we began this series of podcasts talking about the discoveries that Judy and I at a personal level had of how rich conversations can be. And here we are with respect to this topic, back to have a conversation. Which is even, I, I know I am, um working with somebody who's a lean leader i think he's a listen to the podcast so i'm going to get grief for sharing this at some point but i won't mention any names uh, and the whole lean practice is about asking questions of everything yeah. we do and one of the challenges he's been faced with is managing his people and just about every time we chat i keep saying well use your tools yes and, and it's one of those dough moments that he slaps himself on the head and says of course why wouldn't i use the same lean thinking on my people which is let me ask the right question, and then let's create the space for exploration as to how we can move this forward. Judy? Right. And to realize that it's not a one-and-done thing. Like, we, we, don't ha we don't get the right question, and we have the conversation, and then it settles down. This is not a world in which things settle down. And so I keep returning to the exact wording of David White. It just intrigues me personally, which is there is no path that goes all the way. This notion that we set out on a path, but it but we we have to stay in touch with what's going on because it doesn't go all the way. Um, it it breaks up on us or it dribbles apart or the situation changes so that the the conversational dimensions of this are uh, almost I mean daily is too strong a word, but a daily practice. It's a way of living as a leader, uh, not something you inject in now and again. Yeah, this, this instead of motivation, I, I think, you know, for me, it's just, I don't have an easy substitution, but the word that came to my mind is engagement. Right. How do, how do I create an environment? Not I create engagement that I then pass on and put in their skin. How do I create an environment that invites people into engagement, right? And how do I how do I engage my people to create a picture of of the future that is engaging to us? And it's engaging because we painted the picture jointly. Yeah, you know as we hit another 40 minutes of time that we've uh, had a conversation that we didn't know if we had anything to talk about. I mean, uh, well, where the answer came in my mind is if people aren't motivated, then 
let's stop demotivating them. Let's find the right question to ask and and explore whether we've asked the right question. Let's create space for others to engage and let's spread the burden. I uh, I think that's a valuable four sentences from 40 Minutes Conversation. I would say so. Well, well summarized. And, and bravo to you for pulling out those from all this noise. Hey. I don't know what it is, but it's always uh, always pulls something out that uh, is fascinating for me. So once again, Judy Brown from uh, Deepest Maryland and, and Rick Eigenbrod from Furthest California. Thank you for joining us today and thanks for having this conversation. Thank you, Thank David. You, David. Thank Great you. fun. Great fun. That was the Humanity Leadership Podcast. My name's David Wheatley. For further information about Humanity, go to humanity.com or check out our latest book, What Great Teams Do Great, from all good bookstores. Have a good one. Stay healthy. Thank mm-hmm. you.